Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you, as always. So glad, my friends, for you joining another episode. Man, it's hard to believe, but for almost two years, I believe, we launched Stand Strong in the Word podcast. And man, I got to tell you guys, this has been tremendous for me in my own personal time with the Lord, studying things that I've never studied before, seeing things for the very first time, or just being challenged once again a particular passage and just taking it before God and and exploring other resources or commentaries or looking at what other people have to say uh, and it just trying to piece together the life of Jesus within Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So as it's blessed me, I pray that it's been a huge blessing to you. So as always, if you've missed out on any previous podcast, you can always go to standstrongministries.org, click on podcasts, all the archives on SoundCloud are there, including my personal notes for your personal enrichment. And if you've been sharing this with your friends or with family members, man, thank you so much for sharing it with other people. That is huge because we are seeing how this podcast is reaching people around the world. And it, I tell you, my friends, it has just humbled me and has just been so reinforcing for me to see uh, how many people have been touched with this podcast. And so I enjoy being here with you, and I pray that you enjoy spending this time with me as well. And so the other thing I want to say, though, this is important, because it, if people like you did not pray for this ongoing ministry, and if you were not giving uh, generously, we wouldn't be able to do it. So if you've never given before, we prayerfully consider dropping uh, whatever whatever size donation you want, but you can drop a donation by going to standstrongministries.org, clicking on donate, and I just want to thank you in advance. And, and friends, just know this. If you can't give, hey, you can pray and you can share this podcast. Please be a part of the team here by sharing God's word with other people. That's what it's about. Ultimately, it's about us coming together, learning more about Jesus, loving people around us, and making disciples of every nation. So with that being said, let's bring you up to speed. Remember, in the last podcast, we just touched on in Matthew 17, 1-13, that Peter, James, and John had just witnessed a magnificent event, the transfiguration of Jesus. And now they get to see Elijah, and they get to see Moses at that time, and they come down. Remember, there was an activity regarding a demon And so Jesus teaches them a lesson about prayer and fasting to cast out these demons. Well, now where we pick things up is Jesus is doing a lot of travel. He's going through the region of Caesarea and Philippi. Then he goes through Galilee in Mark chapter 9, verse 30. And then he goes back to Capernaum. And when Jesus is here at Capernaum, he deals with some very important matters. One regarding taxes we're going to see on this podcast today and also pride. Now, what I've decided to do in looking at this passage in Matthew 18 is to focus in on Matthew 18, 7 through 35 on next podcast because this is regarding issues of sin and church discipline. Now, the reason I, I'm going to just devote an entire podcast to church discipline is because of how important it is. And I want us to really focus in on that particular passage. Now, I've been doing this for well over 20 years. And as a pastor, I've been disciplined by my elders and people that I've reported to. There are things that I've had to learn and humble myself. 
Uh, and, and I'm so thankful, my friends, that I've had people in my life who've demonstrated servant leadership, who've opened the pages of God's Word, who, whose intent was to help me. But at the same time, and I'm sure you can relate, I've been under leadership or have worked alongside leadership in the church world that do not demonstrate that, have not demonstrated that at all, and have been very hurtful in their efforts and have been very destructive and divisive. And so I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast, to the sound of my voice, have been hurt by people in the church. So I really wanted to, again, take the text and be very delicate and sensitive to these issues, but at the same time, not to hold back and show you how it needs to be properly done. So stay tuned to that podcast next week. I'm excited to be delivering that to you. So let's jump right into these events now today. The first one is in Matthew 17, 24 through 27, where Peter finds a coin in a fish's mouth. This is a weird story, but I'm going to share with you a little bit of the significance behind it. So listen to these words from Matthew. It says, When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, Not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. All right, so here's a couple things we see right off the bat. Notice in verse 24, he came to Capernaum, it says. Now, if you've been following this podcast in chronological order, you know that Capernaum is a place that Jesus often went to. Why? Because Capernaum acted as the headquarters of much of Jesus's earthly ministry. So that's very important, my friends, geographically speaking. There was intent behind Jesus always going back to the location. Now, the second thing we see here in verse 24 is this question that's posed to Peter regarding these collectors who go around collecting this tax. And they ask the question, does your teacher not pay the tax? Now, obviously, this is assuming that Jesus, who hasn't yet paid the tax, doesn't agree with it at all. Now, this is important because the temple tax comes from Scripture. This is found in Exodus 30, 11 through 17. So you see, my friends, in that culture at that time, every Jewish man who was 20 years and older, they were required to pay a tax. Now, this was a half a shekel or a two drachma for this temple upkeep. So the Jewish leaders that were in charge, these collectors that were told here in Matthew, they were administering the annual tax. And so they were in the process attempting to prove Jesus as a lawbreaker since he had yet paid the tax. Now, why is this important? Because remember, the religious leaders have been following Jesus for quite some time. And they didn't like him. They hated him. Remember, they kept saying he's of the devil. He's of the devil. So they've been paying close attention to say, you know what? Jesus has yet to pay for the temple tax. Let's try to get him on that. This commentator puts it like this. Until the revolt against Rome, all Jewish adult males in the Roman Empire paid an annual two drachma tax for the support of the Jerusalem temple. This tax yielded so much revenue that the temple authorities simply began constructing a golden vine to which they added annually. Some Jewish sects refused to contribute to this tax, so the collectors asked Peter what Jesus' response would be. After the temple's destruction now in AD 70, Rome required Jewish people to continue to pay this tax, but it wasn't going to the Jewish people anymore. It now went to Rome. So that gives us a little understanding of the temple tax. And notice, Peter responds by saying yes. Literally in Greek, it means to be sure he does. Like, Why are you even asking me this question? And then it says, and then he came into the house and Jesus speaks to Peter first. Literally in Greek, it means he prevented him to speak 
saying, what do you think, Simon? So no notice, Peter was asked a question by these collectors, and then Jesus asked this question of Simon. Now, we're not told that Jesus was with him. You know, I'm assuming he wasn't, but it's interesting, once again, that, that Jesus, who knows all things, he knows what occurred with Peter, so he poses the question and says, well, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax, from the sons or from others? Now, Peter came to Jesus' defense earlier. Remember, he stated that he does support the tax and he will pay it, so Peter just assumed that. Once again, remember, that's very like Peter. He always took matters into his own hands rather than going to ask Jesus this first. He just responds, as he typically did, in giving them an answer. But notice this question, what do you think, Simon? So before Peter could say anything, Jesus poses a question to him. Now you think about it. What was the purpose of this question that Jesus asked Peter? Well, what Peter didn't understand fully... He was beginning to, if you go back to the previous chapter, Matthew 16, he says, who do you say that I am? You are the son, the living God. This was a valuable lesson that Jesus wanted Peter to understand, that Jesus is king, and therefore his disciples are sons of the kingdom. They are exempt, therefore, for paying the tax. Not to mention that Jesus is sinless. So the temple existed to make sacrifice for the people. So the temple tax was due before or on the Day of Atonement. Well, if Jesus is sinless and he's a king, why does he need to pay a temple tax? So understand the great significance that Jesus is teaching Peter at this point. Now, notice in verse 26, he says, then the sons are free. What he means is that the temple belonged to God and therefore Jesus ultimately was going to be the ultimate sacrifice, right? The lamb to pay for the sins to free us from the bondage of sin. That's what he was saying. So there was a hidden spiritual theological message that Jesus is conveying here. In the verse 27, he says, however, not to give offense. So he's saying, look, I am still here on this earth to fulfill the law. And I'm here to die on the cross for your sins. And on the third day, I would rise again on the third day. So he says, so not to offend the people that are in power right now. The temple still exists. He wanted Peter to go fish, to go do something, right, that he enjoyed to do. And when he grabs the first fish out of the water, to open its mouth and he will find money in there. And what kind of money? It'd be the exact amount to pay for Peter's tax for the temple as well as Jesus. Now this account, my friends, shows also Jesus's willingness to submit to the laws and authority. He doesn't use this as an opportunity to talk back, but rather he uses an opportunity that he submits to authority. So now let's take a look at the second event where the disciples argue over who is the greatest. Now, here's what's interesting about these passages. It's found in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6, Mark chapter 9, 33 through 37, and verse 42, and Luke chapter 9, 46 through 48. When you and I look, and these are all my notes, my friends, so you can go to the website, standstrongministries.org, and take a look at it. But I've highlighted the different things that are mentioned within this one particular incident. And it's striking because much of each account that's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have information, their details that the other doesn't. So I'm going to give you the big picture. So I'm not going to read each and every passage for time's sake. So I'm just going to start showing you some highlighted verses that come out of each one in the proper order. So we begin by looking at Mark chapter 9, verse 33, where it says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked, or literally he inquired them, What were you discussing on the way? So again, in proper context, understand... We started it with Peter being asked a question. Secondly, we see Peter going to the home and Jesus asking him a question. And now all the disciples, as they're going back to Capernaum, on the way, Jesus was overhearing them talking about a few things. And so when they when they arrived to the house, he asked them, what were you guys discussing on the way? So after several months, the disciples 
returned back to Capernaum with Jesus. And so on the way, we see that the disciples got into a what seems to be a heated debate over who is the greatest. You see this in Mark 9, 34 and Luke 9, 46. We don't know what exactly sparked, if you will, this debate. So either the inner circle, maybe because Peter, James, and John were called to go to the mountain. Maybe they felt they were so special in telling about how they saw Jesus being transfigured and they got to meet Moses and Elijah. Maybe that's what created them to start getting into this debate. Perhaps even the, the other disciples were feeling that they have to kind of show in their frame of mind that I don't like this peaking order and trying to impress and show how they're better. Or maybe perhaps the disciples were upset because Jesus only paid for Peter's taxes for the temple and they were jealous about that. We don't know. Either way, Jesus breaches the subject upon arrival by asking his disciples what they were arguing about. Now, obviously, we're told in Mark 9, 34, the disciples were embarrassed and they said nothing. Now, in Matthew 18, verse 1, it says, at that time, literally in that hour, simultaneously, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So now after a period of awkward silence, the disciples, they finally respond to Jesus' question that he asked in Mark 9, 33, and, and asked the primary question that was causing so much of the turmoil, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So notice, they don't respond right away to Jesus' question. They don't admit because they're embarrassed. But after a while, and then when we look at the Greek, at that time, at some point, they decided together to go and pose a question. So again, notice in context, we're seeing all these questions that are coming out one after the other. So now Jesus is being asked this question. So they're trying to answer the question with a question, right? Now, there's some several things that I saw that were pretty interesting in this question that's being posed by the disciples based on the debate that they were having on the way to Capernaum. Number one is notice the disciples were still dead set on finding out who the greatest was among them. This is something that was front and center in much of the ministry with Jesus, we have to keep that in mind. Number two is notice, they assume that Jesus had a ranking among them. Isn't that weird and sad at the same time? Here, Jesus himself, who is the ultimate living sacrifice, and yet the disciples in their own greed felt that Jesus believed that some were better than others. And again, you can understand to some degree with the inner circle, why is Jesus always just having Peter and James and John sometimes going off with him and they're getting to see these great things and learn these great things and we're not. You can understand to some degree, but of course they were completely misinterpreting Jesus's ministry. And the other thing I thought was pretty interesting is how they completely ignored that prior to them arguing, Jesus had predicted for a second time his death and his resurrection. Yeah, guess what? They didn't care because they only cared about themselves. This is an interesting passage of scripture that I think really feeds into what we're reading about right now in Luke 14, 7 through 11. Notice this rankings and this position of authority that were very important to the Jews and were really rubbing off on the disciples. And as I read this, you and I will know, my friends, it's really no different with what we face today, whether it be in the church or in the workplace, or at home, or in a relationship, or friendship, or a certain community. Notice in Luke 14, it says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Least someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself 
will be exalted. In Luke 9, 47, it says, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, and then interesting, he doesn't need them to respond. He's not asking the question because he didn't know what they were talking about. Jesus didn't ask the question because he was oblivious. He wasn't paying attention. No, he asked the question because he's getting to their heart. He asked it because he knew and he used the opportunity to teach them once again about humility. He just taught Peter that he ultimately is the king and he's the ultimate sacrifice. In Mark 9, 35, it says, and he sat down. Okay, so he's asking them this question. They respond with a question because they're embarrassed. Jesus knows the reasoning of their hearts. He senses and knows their struggle. So what does he do? He sits down. Literally, it says he recognized position of a Jewish teacher and he calls the 12 and he says to them. So he wants to teach them. Notice what he says. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant, literally one who ministers. So you need to be a servant of all. That is Jesus saying, you need to be prepared to take the lowest place, just like we read in Luke 14. And he's saying this, the one who serves is ultimately the greatest. So then what does he do? In Mark 9, 36, we're told he takes a child literally with no rights. And he puts this child in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them. Now, before I go any further, notice the love and compassion shown by Jesus to this child and the dramatic effect that is used to get the disciples to understand the greatness of childlike faith. The disciples were sure that Jesus calling them together would settle this matter once and for all. Remember, Jesus has a rank system and he's finally going to admit it. And we're going to know here, right here, right now, who is the greatest. Is it Peter? Is it John? Whatever the case may be. Well, what they didn't know was that Jesus would point to a child as an example of true greatness. So talk about a humbling moment for the disciples. Remember, they were already embarrassed. They were, one, hot-headed, and now they're being humbled. Matthew 18, 3 through 4 says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, either they would continue to act like immature children and keep debating who's the greatest, or the disciples would take on a childlike faith at this moment, at this valuable moment from Jesus, and seek to serve with humility. You know, one commentary writes this, since the words child and servant are the same in the Aramaic language, it is easy to see why Jesus connected the two. If we have the heart of a child, we will have little difficulty being servants. And if we have the attitude of servants, we will welcome the children as representatives of Jesus Christ and the Father. That's the key, is teaching the disciples to be servants. Philippians 2, 1 through 4, read that on your own time, talking about having that mind of Christ is very important. Matthew 18, 5 through 6, and Mark 9, 42, whoever sees one of these children in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone, literally a heavy stone pulled by a donkey, fastened around his neck, and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So Jesus not only uses a child as an example of how to live, but also points out the responsibility to be an example to children. You see, my friends, the message here that Jesus is trying to convey to the disciples, based on their debating vigorously about who the greatest is, probably putting out the resume and explaining to why the other disciples need to submit to them, and then now they're trying to get Jesus to back one or the other. He's saying... My friends, when you, my disciples, when you receive people of humility, you are receiving the nature of myself, of who I am. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. But when you cause one of God's children to sin, when you don't care about them, and you just care about yourself, 
that sin will carry with it far greater consequences. And there's a warning there. Now, obviously, even at this stage in our chronological discoveries, we understand the disciples didn't fully understand everything that Jesus was saying, but what a lesson here to put them in their place. So my friends, as we close out on today's podcast, a lot of great stuff, once again, that we're reading in the Gospels. It's amazing to see the level of detail that we oftentimes neglect in our readings of the Gospels. So from the temple tax and how Jesus responded to Peter by showing that he is the king, that he is the sinless one, and that we will all be free sons and daughters. What a great lesson we saw there. To the challenge that Jesus poses the disciples because of their own arrogance as well as ignorance. And he calls them out by using a child. How humiliating. So I want you to have that perspective as I close on today's podcast. No matter who you are, what kind of education or finances or status you may have in in the world of business or even what position you hold in a church, you have to consider, and this goes for me as well, no one is removed from this. You and I have to consider a child. We need to show that type of humility. We need to have that kind of childlike faith. So my friends, I pray that this has been a blessing to you. I pray that you and I will continue to be humble. I pray that we would not be elevating ourselves or thinking more highly than we ought, but rather that we would fixate our eyes on Jesus and look to serve the people around us. Thank you for listening, my friends. And until next episode, keep standing strong. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.